Let me just pray um, before we dive into God's word and just to focus our minds and our hearts on Jesus. Father, we just come before you. We thank you um, that you have loved us, that you have poured out your grace and mercy upon us and that we get to be called sons and daughters of the God who created us and loved us and saved us. Father, we pray that you would be with us today as we enter into your word. I pray that you would just stir our hearts with a deeper affection and love for you and your work in us and through us for the glory of your son, Lord. We just pray that as I speak, Lord, that that my words would fall flat, Lord, but your words would linger and bring forth life. God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would move in us to behold you, to believe you, and to follow you. God, we love you, and we gather here to know you and to make you known. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we've been uh, working our ways through the Chronicles of Narnia, and uh, one of my favorite books um, is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I was reading through this with, with one of our daughters, and uh, something just stuck out to me. In this story, there's a little girl named Lucy. Now, Lucy has three older siblings, um, and she's the youngest, and you know, I was the oldest child, so I don't always understand the struggle of the youngest child. Um, but some of you who are the youngest child, you understand what it's like to have big brothers and sisters constantly dismiss you, belittle you. And so this is Lucy's struggle. And they're playing hide-and-seek, and and Lucy ends up finding her way through the doors of a magical wardrobe. And she enters into this magical land called Narnia. And and here she is in this snowy, magical land called Narnia, and she meets a fawn named Mr. Tumnus. And she sits down and, and by the fire begins to hear stories of this king, this Aslan. And she begins being fascinated by this this king who rules over Narnia and who who everybody is longing for him to return. And Lucy ends up making her way back out of the wardrobe and she finds herself with her siblings who were not with her in Narnia and she begins to plead and try to convince them about Narnia. But her her siblings just dismiss her, belittle her. Well, Lucy, you're, you're young. You're letting your imagination get the best of you. It's time to stop playing games, Lucy. But Lucy knows what is real. She knew, knows what is true. She knows that what she experienced, what she saw, what she lived is true and real. And she longed for her siblings to understand this Narnia, to understand who this Aslan was, this king of Narnia. And sometimes I feel like we're like Lucy, that we understand what is true, what is real. We've experienced King Jesus. We've experienced his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. We've been recipients of his work towards us in Christ. And we long for others to know him. But sometimes we feel feel inadequate. We feel unprepared. We feel uncertain. 
Or sometimes, like Lucy, we just feel completely unable to represent him well. That we're standing there struggling. We know what is true, and yet we can't show people and convince them of King Jesus. We long for others to know him. We're going to see how Jesus specifically helps us to represent him well to others. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible with you. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to see how God entrusts us as believers to carry on the message and mission of Jesus as his representatives or ambassadors. I want to work our way through this text and and share three things with you that will help us step forward with confidence and conviction to clearly represent Jesus to others. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. For, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what about is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised." From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So the first thing that we we see in this passage is that if we want to represent Jesus well, we have to know the king. We have to know the king. See, an ambassador or a representative is more than a messenger. They are a representative of, of the ruler, of the king, of the governor that sent them. See, being a representative starts with knowing the one who sent you. Uh, The fear of the Lord. I I love this in verse 11. Therefore, for this reason, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The fear of the Lord and knowing him prompts and drives why and how we engage with others. It's because of Jesus and our relationship with him that drives us and drives why and how we relate with others. And the reality is, is if we don't know Jesus closely, we won't represent him clearly. See, the more you know Jesus personally, the more you can confidently and gladly represent him. I love how it says in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us. This isn't our love towards Christ, but this is Christ's love towards us that prompts us and drives us. The love of Christ towards us shapes all our lives, all that we are, all that we are about is knowing him and making him known. It goes on in verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. I love this. Like, if we are beside ourselves, It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
This means that, in a sense, we're overwhelmed with excitement to know God and experience him. But yet we're tactical and sincere with a desire to make him known. There's this this meshing of both worship and mission that Jesus' love for us prompts in us a spirit of both worship and mission. That we're just out of control in love with God, and yet we're also tactical and sincere with how we engage others. We no longer live for ourselves, right? We're controlled by the love of Christ. He goes on in verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Like the gospel changes us. We no longer are living for ourselves, but we're living for him who died and rose again for us so that we could be dead to sin and alive with God. The gospel changes us. It changes why we live. It changes how we live. It changes the way that we think and we live, right? Verse 16, from now on, something has changed because we have met Jesus. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh or according to the worldly standards. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Like, the gospel changes us. I mean, think about this. Because of God's love for you, how differently do you think of God now than you did 5, 10, 20 years ago? How differently do you relate and engage with others now than you did 5, 10, 20 years ago? The gospel changes us. As we know Jesus, as we walk closely with him, it changes us. It changes why and how we engage with others. That because of the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade others that we know the King, and you can know him too. Knowing Jesus personally empowers us to faithfully represent him to others. We've got to know the king, but we also got to know the message. In verse 17, it goes on, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I'm going to skip down to verse 21, a famous verse. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as messengers, as representatives of Jesus, we have to know the message. The message is all about what God has done to reconcile people to himself. God does a reconciliation. We accept what he has done for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
God does the reconciliation. We accept what he has done. So our message that we bring forth to the world is about the incredible reconciling love of God through Christ Jesus. That those who are in Christ are a new creation, a new people with a new life, with new identity, with new desires. That they are made new. See, reconciliation means that people are restored back into a right relationship with God. Reconciliation means the fixing of a broken relationship. In this sense, one side broke the relationship completely. That's us. We, we completely broke the relationship by ourselves because of our sin. But the other side, God, did everything on his own to reconcile us back to him back into right relationship with him. So the message that we bring forth above all else is that God has made a way for people to be reconciled back to him through putting their faith in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross. This means that the greatest tool that you have as an ambassador or a representative of Jesus is not being a nice person, it's, it's not living the right way and, and having things together. It's not being able to out-debate somebody to be able to prove the existence of God. The greatest tool that you have is the gospel, that Jesus has made a way for them to be brought back into right relationship with him. It's freeing. It's completely freeing to realize that it isn't about how good of a messenger we are, but on how great the message of the gospel is. That's our greatest tool. That's what we go forth with, is the message of the gospel. And I don't want our, our churches, our ministries, to be one that rely on impressing people with, with great atmosphere, great environment, um, great facilities, a great preaching. We want one that relies on the importance of the gospel, penetrating and invading people's lives. They would see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his grace. We've got to know the king. We've got to know the message. And lastly, we've got to know the mission. This is what he talks about in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the, mess, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Man, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love how he's just, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We gotta know the mission. This mission, it isn't our mission. It's God's mission. All this is from God. It's God's mission that he initiates, that he's at work in. See, God doesn't wait for people to come to him. He sent Jesus to reconcile people back to him. And now he is sending me and you to engage them with the hope of the gospel. 
God isn't sitting back waiting. He is on mission, getting after people, seeking, sending us in with the message of the gospel. Like God isn't waiting for your friend, your family member, your neighbor, your coworker to begin looking for him. He has already sent Jesus to pay the price so that they could be reconciled back to him. And now he is sending me and you to engage them with the hope of the gospel, to make his known, to make his appeal through us. How glorious is our God that he invites us into his mission. He's not sitting back and waiting. He is at work. And we have been given the high honor and rank as a divinely certified ambassador or representative that we get to be Jesus' representative in every area of our life. So our mission as a people of God isn't, isn't to plant new churches, isn't, isn't to start a new outreach program in the church, is to be the people of God being sent from the embassy to engage every area of our life as Jesus' representatives. God has sent you to live among a people that desperately need to hear the gospel of what Jesus has done through his son Jesus. And he is sending us as as church planters not to start a church so that people have a place to come and hear the gospel, but to create a community of followers that go and tell people about the incredible reconciling love of God through Jesus Christ. God is sending us all out daily to live for Jesus, to represent him in all that we say and do that Jesus might be made known and people would be reconciled back to God. If I can leave you with with one last charge, it's, it's to live daily as a sent representative, to realize daily that Jesus is sending you out to represent him, that he is seeking to make his appeal through you. What I love about in the story of the Chronicles of Narnia is that, is that Lucy was so convinced that what she experienced and what she knew was true that she didn't waver in her conviction. She, she didn't sit back and, and, and diminish her hope. She knew what she experienced was true. And she continued to plead with her siblings about this King Narnia about this land of Narnia where things were magical and unlike anything else. She held on to her hope. She held on to her conviction and she was faithful. And she was present in the lives of her siblings. And in a sense, she waited for the literal doors to open to the wardrobe. And her siblings were able to come in and experience Narnia and meet this king of Narnia named Aslan. And we need to be like Lucy and, and holding on to our conviction. We know what is true. We gotta stand faithful and firm into the things that God is calling us. We gotta pray and watch for where God's opening doors. Where is he giving opportunities to give people an invitation to the kingdom of God? Where is he inviting people to experience the reconciling love of Jesus? So as you engage with those around you, pray for them. Pray for them diligently. Love them. Talk about Jesus considerately, 
in a tactical and sincere way, but persuasively. Let your love from Jesus drip and permeate the conversations. And be faithful. And know that God is making an appeal through you. This is God's work. It's his work to save. Your job is to be faithful, to be present, to let God make his appeal through you. See, God may not be sending you to Utah, though if he is, let's talk. And let's, let's talk. But I do know that God is sending you out Monday morning to your workplace, later this afternoon to the soup kitchen, to your neighborhood. God is sending you out to represent him in everything you put your hands to. See, God has called us to go and move to, uh, Salt, uh, to Utah County and to live as a sent representative. It started 11 years ago as we were driving through Salt Lake City as we were heading to um, seminary in Texas. And we kind of stopped um, on like kind of a whim and we're like, well, let's just take a potty break and uh, go visit this Mormon visitor center. And we begin walking through this Mormon visitor center and, and we begin to see like this wonderful display of the gospel. I mean, this, this visitor center was like, we walked through and we were like, this is beautifully done. This is the gospel. And it wasn't until later that we found this, this like stairway that was kind of tucked away at the back of the center that went down and had all the Mormon beliefs. And we began to engage in conversation with some people there and our hearts were just filled with this brokenness that, that they, they almost have it, but yet there's all these beliefs of this works-based righteousness that deceive them and lead people away from seeing the grace of Jesus. And as we were leaving, I remember just half-heartedly joking to my wife. Uh, we thought we were gonna be missionaries in like the 1040 window. Um, and I remember just joking to her, when we retire, um, because who retires from ministry, right? Um, when we retire, we should move here and come to the heart of Mormonism. And it started about four years ago at one of our NAB um, regional meetings in Seaside um, when some people were beginning to share about the need in Utah County. Um, and we began to just um, have conversations, to begin praying with those that were close with us um, and just seeking to discern what's, what's God doing with this stirring and this burden that he's placed on our hearts. And through just a, a long journey of just praying and seeking and discerning, we got to the point where we were like, we think we're supposed to go, but we don't know how. And, and I was just wrestling with this burden that God was placing on my heart. Uh, and I remember just, just continually praying about it. And it seemed like every time God just kept bringing up, do you trust me? Vince, do you trust me? So I went to my wife and I was like, Jesse, I think God's asking us just to move to Utah and to trust him. And my wife was like, I think he's telling me the same thing. And it was at that moment where it was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if he's telling us both, then uh, I think God's speaking clearly here. And so we move forward and we've moved to Utah County. We moved in November. And some of the, the stats that we begin to see um, that we heard that prompted this burden, we are beginning to really see um, over this beginning journey of being there. Utah County is the least reached metro area in the U.S. 
with less than 1% evangelical Christian and over 85% are Mormon or LDS. It's severely lacking in churches and believers to be sent representatives. Uh, it's, it's this incredibly religious culture um, where on the outside it, it seems really nice and put together and the people, uh, are, there's strong family values and, and there's a morality and yet there's this culture of just people living under the crushing weight of trying to be good enough to be right with God. Some statistics that, man, really popped that bring to life just... Uh, that you can't cover over sin, that you need the work of Jesus to do a work in the heart. Utah County, 85% Mormon. It leads the country in online pornography usage. It leads the nation in prescription drug abuse. It leads the nation in antidepressant usage. It leads the nation in cosmetic surgery. Not that cosmetic surgery is wrong, but it's this idea that you have to have it together, look polished, and be well put together. Teen suicide in Utah County is two times the national average. My wife coached softball at one of the um, towns down there, um, and its nickname is Suicide Hills, because every year there's at least a couple of kids who commit suicide. It's this culture of people trying so desperately to be right with God, to have it all together, living under the crushing weight of their sin, needing to experience the reconciling work of God. So this is our vision. This is our hope that we want to go in and bring the gospel, bring the good news of Jesus. We want to enter in intentionally as representatives of the gospel in the community we want to let God make his appeal through us. And we've been down there. We haven't planted a church yet, um, but we've moved down there with the hope that we will see a church planted. And we're doing a residency with a church down there and learning the culture, learning the, the language, learning the terms, um, and getting just a feel for the land. We've been seeking to intentionally engage our neighbors and friends. And we're seeking to till the soil. We've been doing prayer walks, finding ways to get into the community through um, coaching, through substitute teaching. Uh, just got hired on as a volunteer firefighter. Uh, my wife got a coach softball um, that allowed incredible insights into the culture. As you begin hearing people at the grocery store just talking about their kids going on mission, on their mission overseas and where they got sent and all these things. And we're beginning to see the culture and see the need. We're beginning to see these stories of suicide and, and the people behind the statistics. We're praying and hoping that the gospel will take root, that God will open doors and allow people to walk through and meet King Jesus. Our goal is to make disciples and plant a community of faith that continues to live as representatives by knowing Jesus and making him known. We feel called to plant a church that intentionally invites people into not just attending, but participating in the rescuing and transforming love of God. And we want to equip and send out disciples to be representatives of the gospel, that he might be made known. 
the reality is, is Utah County doesn't need just one more church. <laughs> if we go down there and we, we have it in our mind that we plan a church and mission accomplished, the game's not over. There's literal towns without a single evangelical church. Utah County needs more than just one more church. It needs a church in every town. It needs a church in every neighborhood. It needs believers inhabiting their relationships, their neighborhoods, their communities as represents of Jesus, making him known. And we're committed to seeing and making disciples who make disciples, to being a pastor who equips and sends out new leaders and new pastors, and to being a church plant that plants churches. And we want to keep things simple. We want to keep things intentional. We want to keep things reproducible so that the focus remains on knowing Jesus and making him known so that we would be able to see sent representatives engaging Utah County, engaging the unreached there and to the ends of the world. I want to thank you for listening to how God is calling us to be sent representatives. I want to thank you for your church and the ways that you guys have partnered with us and supported us financially. You've supported us in prayer, supported us with your friendship. I've got a couple of phone calls from your pastor, Nick, checking in on us in the early years and asking how he can be praying for us. We really appreciate your guys' support, your friendship. Thank you guys for letting us be here. And I'd, I'd love to, to hear stories about how God is using you how is God sending you as sent representatives into your communities? Because he is at work in his people to accomplish his mission. If you want to hear more about Utah, about the need, about our vision, about what it's like in Utah, we'd love to share with you. Uh, in the back, we have um, some prayer magnets, a little bulletin if you want to have some more information. Um, we also have a sign-up. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, and know how you can be praying for us and the other churches in Utah County, um, would you go ahead and sign up for that and, and know how you can be praying for us? If you have a heart for unreached area, a burdened and oppressed religious people, come join us in the harvest in Utah. Need sent representatives. It really is a privilege that we all get to be divinely certified ambassadors that we get to represent Jesus wherever he calls us, wherever we live, that we get to live for the fame and the glory of the one who sent us, the one who died to reconcile us back to God. We live in a world that desperately needs the gospel, that desperately needs to be reconciled back to him. So if I can remind you from God's word, know the king, know him personally, walk with him closely, let him shape your life. Know the message. That it's about the gospel. It's about the good news. That that's our greatest tool that we bring into any situation. Know the mission. That is God's mission. Our job is just to be faithful, to be present, to engage where God leads. May God use each of us to make known his incredible reconciling and rescuing love through Jesus that we might see people reconciled and brought back into a relationship with him and experiencing the joy of knowing King Jesus personally. Father, we just come before you. We thank you 
for the work that you have done on our behalf through Jesus to pay the price for our sins so that we can be reconciled and brought back to you so that we can live with you, that we can engage the world in the things that you are doing. Father, we pray that you would help us to live lives that would bring you fame, that would bring you glory, Lord. We just ask for your blessing, that you would lead us and guide us to know you more closely and to follow you more closely. Pray these things in your name. Amen. And will you please thank Vince again?